Hello there, and a very warm welcome to a new series on World Football Index. It is indeed me, Neil Shillitz, uh, who you're hearing, but this is not the Frantic Football Podcast. Uh, this is a, a, a sort of a new uh, new concept that uh, my uh, Ben Griffiths and I have been you know, thinking about, and of course, I'm joined by Ben, so first let me quickly introduce him. Uh, welcome again, Ben, second time in the day. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, 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 it's been good. Uh, Excited. Yep. So let me let me just quickly uh, talk about uh, the, the the idea as a whole. So essentially, what we're thinking, we we haven't got any any sort of fixed uh, d- commitments or deadlines that we set ourselves for this, but uh, we just figured that it it would be very interesting to speak to a, a, a bunch of people who uh, are working in football or are involved uh, with the sport in some way. Uh, to 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 just hear about them uh, and their work because of course with the frantic football podcast we cover the sport in general you know all over the world uh, all leagues all, all sorts of stuff going on but at, at the same time it's it's really it's important and equally interesting to also hear the stories of people because of course at the end of the day you know it's 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 all about the people the people make the sport so uh, this is we we will definitely be speaking to more people as well but. Uh, first up, I'm delighted to say that our, our very first guest for this uh, is Cameron Herbert. How are you, Cameron? Great to have you. Hey, guys. No, I, I'm doing well, thank you. And uh, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks. Yep, a pleasure, pleasure to have you, as I said. So uh, for, for those of you who, who haven't uh, heard hearing of Cameron for the first time, um, I, I, think, I think if we had to briefly introduce him, uh, Cameron is, is a football coach, uh, and, and he's, he's currently working... Uh, at at the Ascent Soccer Academy in Malawi, uh, and so uh, we will we'll be speaking to Cameron uh, obviously about himself, his, his journey, but but also we will focus a fair bit on uh, the Ascent Academy and and uh, just football in Malawi basically. So uh, uh, that, that that that's what you what you should be expecting uh, from this episode. I, I'm sure it's going to be a really really interesting chat. Uh, so uh, without further ado, I guess uh, let, let's get started. All right. So uh, Cameron, the, uh, of course, as I said, we, we'll mainly be focusing on ascent. But quickly, first, uh, I, I guess let's let's just get uh, to hear about you a bit. So I, I think the first question, of course, is you know how how did you start getting into coaching? Like uh, where where did you start developing an interest? And, and what what were your first experiences that that you remember? So at around like 17, 18 years old, I realized, okay, I'm not going to be any sort of uh, any sort of player, but I didn't really know how else to stay involved in the game. And, uh, you know, this was maybe eight years ago, seven years ago. So I didn't, uh, you know, football Twitter was not the, the type of place it is now. There wasn't people putting out as much content as they are now. So I didn't know what analysis was. I didn't know what um, you know, I didn't know what Excel was and how to use it like I do now and all that. And so I figured, okay, well, the easiest thing we can do is just coach. Um, so um, I found a club that had um, a UEFA pro licensed coach and uh, joined them, stayed with them for about three years. And that's where I kind of learned the ins and outs of coaching because um, as a player, I, I, I mean, I didn't pay too much attention to what my coaches did. I just kind of turned up and saved shots, I guess. And that was it. Um, so when I, once I, you know, once I turned up and said, okay, you know, they said, Cam, you need to go put the cones down. Um, it was a mess the first couple of sessions. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but as we kind of talked about before we started recording at 17, no one expects anything of you, um, which is why I always encourage people to coach as young as possible, because that's like the prime time to make mistakes because no one holds any expectations for you. Um, and they were kind enough to me. They walked me through all the, you know, mistakes. They, they told me, um, what's best practice for coaching and how to make effective coaching points without kind of droning on and monologuing and boring the players. And they also talked about how to make sessions fun because the age group I started with was between U8 all the way to U12 plus the goalkeepers. Um, so how to make sessions fun, how to keep them engaged. And then I liked it because I think, you know, naturally I like working with young people. So working with U8s to U12s as a 17, 18 year old while still coaching. So while still being involved with soccer and learning something every session was exciting for me. Um, eventually COVID came um, and, you know, I was an electrician, electrical apprentice. And I realized I'm making the same amount of money coaching as I am as an electrical apprentice. And when COVID came, I lost my job as an electric, electrical apprentice. I said, okay, well, let's just give this coaching thing um, a shot. So 2020 to all the way to 2022, um, or 
uh, end of 2021, rather, uh, I joined another club called Ancaster Legacy. And um, I met my, I think he's a very good friend and now mentor, Daryl Hellum. And he totally changed the way I view coaching and how, um, how in depth we look at it. Um, and, and it was interesting. He's engaging. He's a great coach. He's a great coach and a great person. Um, you know, the, the first step was learning how to create fun and engaging training sessions. And then the second club I was at um, taught me how to effectively plan a year's worth of training, how to manage load, how to, you know, make sure we don't burn our players out, how to make sure not every single session is like the most intense session of, of the week or the month. So uh, that's kind of where I would say the biggest uh, learning moments happened for, for coaching. Whereas with uh, my first club, Real Mississauga, it was more of a introduction to best practices. That's interesting. So you said you were an electrical apprentice and kind of, um, yeah, I can make the same amount of money and like, I enjoy it. Uh, let's go into coaching. So beyond that, I was need like licenses. So what was like for you, that path kind of, was it through the clubs or like through the mentors or they kind of push you to initially go get those? Or did you kind of go out and, and, go chase those yourself so when i was at real mississauga i he had a uefa pro coach and that didn't mean anything to me because i was 17 and i was like well whatever um and then like you know we went i remember we went out for dinner once and like you know he mentioned his licensing and he mentioned who was on his course and i was like these are professional players on your course that's kind of weird um and I kind of realized, oh, wait, no, Pep has a UEFA pro coach. And so does Bielsa. And so does all these, you know, amazing world-class coaches. And at 18 years old, uh, having that like epiphany is stupid. Um, like, it was a bit late for that. Because um, in Canada, there's not a lot of UEFA licensed coaches. Um, I'm sure it's, you know, many Canadians will attest to. So um, when I got there, he's like, yeah, Cam, you should go for your Canada City license. And I was like, okay. Um, so instead of paying the $2,000 or whatever it was, I paid like a hundred bucks to go do this introduction course um, that covers, you know, grassroots kids. So below 13. And that was really fun. I learned a lot. And it was more of like, again, just keeping the sessions fun, keeping the points concise and all that. And I liked learning and I met a lot of cool people on the course. So the first club, yeah, they definitely encouraged me to go uh, pursue further education. Um, and I didn't, and I, I, I took it to heart. I, I think after I did that first course, you know, two things occurred. One, one is I wanted to, do more licensing and two i didn't want to do any more with canada i needed to see if i can can i go and do it with like can i go get a uefa license and what's the step for that so you know for about three years i was like looking for how, you know how to get onto the uefa licensing stream and the only reason the only way i found that was by putting on twitter are there any north american coaches who have uefa b um and how did you do it right and um I got a few answers. One of them was Jeremy Handler. He said, hey, I'm doing it through this program, uh, except you need to get your C first before you can get the B. Um, and that was it. Like Twitter, having, I think at the time I had like a thousand followers. So Twitter helped me get onto my UEFA uh, licensing stream. So having mentors was massive because they just tell you, look, the licensing is important. If you want to have any sort of career in the game, you need a license, um, especially if you don't have any sort of distinguished playing career. So you need the license. Um, and also the connections you make and the things you learn are invaluable. So uh, I'm going for my UAFB in December, really excited about it. And um, I don't think it'll be the last license I, I go for. I want to kind of get as many as I can because I think we can learn a lot from different federations. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it won't be all the very best for that. Um, but, but I think let, let's move on then to... Uh, our sort of main topic of this discussion, which is of course uh, the Ascent Academy. So, let me. I mean, obviously, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this in more depth in a bit. But uh, I think for the listeners, let's just could quickly uh, establish that. Of course, Ascent is an academy in Malawi, uh, which was established in twenty fourteen, uh, and and I think I think currently, of course, it's it's a youth academy for uh, both boys uh, and girls. Uh, w without a, a direct path to a senior team, so it's so it's sort of a full time academy, I guess you could say. So, I, I think the first thing, uh, Cameron, which uh, who I think we'd like to know is how how, how did how did you hear about them, or you know, whichever whether they contacted you or you contacted them, but just uh, how, how how did you how did you get there? I suppose uh, as as a sort of a Canadian going to Malawi. 
Yeah, it's it's almost like the start of a joke, right? Canadian goes to Malawi to coach soccer. Um, so when I got my, you know, when I, when I went to Scotland to do my UFSC, um, the instructor said, hey, do you want to come back next year for a B? And at the time, I wasn't, I honestly wasn't that confident. They said I did well on the course. Sometimes I felt like my, um, my peers did a bit better than I did. So, you know, I didn't think I was ready for the B, but hearing my instructors invite me to come again for the, the B in 2022, um, I said, okay, if they're saying I'm a, if they're, if they're inviting me to the UFAB, that means I'm probably close or at the UFAB level for coaching. So let's now look to see if we can get a coaching gig outside of Canada to really test myself with, uh, you know, a different level of player. So I looked, I pretty much looked for uh, coaching jobs, Africa, Asia, Europe. And I was in Scotland when this happened. I was in my aunt's uh, guest bedroom and I was just looking up as many academies as I could. Um, I saw Ascent Soccer had a posting on like the second page of Google and I went directly to the website. Uh, I emailed one of the co-founders who also happens to be a Canadian, which I totally, totally lucked out there. That was, oh, I, when, when he signed his email, I saw like um, the, the same area code phone number and I was like, okay, this is, this is great. This is such as, this is a small world, right? So I reached out to them. Um, I said, look, I don't, like you're asking for a B. I've got a C. Just curious to see um, if I can come work with you guys. And the conversation started from there and uh, I'm here now in, in year two. That, that's awesome. Um, so then you get to Malawi. So how, how is it? Because did you visit beforehand or was it just boots on the ground? I'm here now. First time in Malawi yeah. now coaching. So how is life in Malawi? Do you enjoy it? What's that all about? Like I, uh, I've never been to Africa before. Going to Scotland was like the first time for my UAFSC. It was like the first time I traveled um, by plane by myself. I've been to the States by myself before, right? So um, it's not, it wasn't that big of a deal, but going to Scotland was like the first big thing for me, right? And it was, you know, my parents are nervous and all that crap, right? They're like, what you, you know, so they were super shocked. I kind of said, okay, the initial fear on the plane will subside. And it did as soon as I landed, right? Everyone here is extremely friendly. People I work with are great, man. I love the, the players. I love the people I work with. I get to do what I love, um, in a pretty good environment, right? Like, I mean, the, the, the academy itself is pretty nice. The, the pitch we train on is nice. The equipment we have is good. Um, when I got here, any sort of fear or ideas I had about Malawi or Africa or whatever, completely gone. Um, because like I said, everyone here is super kind, welcoming. Um, I, I would say my biggest issue is probably like, like cheese is super expensive. Dairy products are pretty hard to get because you have to import it from South Africa. Um, you know, electricity is a bit of a pain at the moment because um, the main energy provider is, I, I don't know how to say it correctly, so you may have to edit this. Um, the main energy provider uh, suffered some damages on, the, on their dam during a big rainstorm last year. So we have load shedding. So some days, some hours we have electricity, some hours we don't. Um, right now we, we have solar backup so we can keep lights on um throughout the day that's pretty much the biggest inconvenience i, I complain about uh the most otherwise i don't really have anything bad to say about it yeah man. So that's good because uh, electricity is something uh, I, I can surely it can get very annoying because uh like when i was in india it, during especially monsoon season it, it's uh, it can tend to be very uh you know fluctuate it can fluctuate a lot but i, I guess you learn to live with those things eventually um, but, but I, I think let's also quickly talk about then uh, just just sort of the football scene uh, uh, in in Malawi. Um, I, I think if I remember correctly, you've never actually mentioned uh, Malawi uh, or, or the Malawi Super League on the podcast. So maybe that's on the Frantic Football podcast. So maybe that's something uh, we need to we need to keep an eye on in the future because uh, at, at least uh, some of the team names I saw uh, rather stood out to me. There's the, Nyasa Big Bullets, who I think won last season, uh, which is which is a, a pretty good name. And but speaking of um, the national team as well, I think they'll be in action soon in the Afghan qualifiers. Uh, I think against Egypt later tonight, as we record this on Friday. But but they're ra- ranked uh, 124th in the FIFA rankings, so definitely towards the lower side. So I think I think you know if you had to basically just give a quick overview of the football scene in Malawi, 
uh, at the moment uh, how how would you describe it yeah it's um i'll be honest with you i try not i tried to avoid it i don't really watch a lot of the super league because it's just not very entertaining for me um start of the season is fine i guess because the pitches are going to be green but then towards the end of the year um once the rain has stopped for like five six months the pitches kind of deteriorate deteriorate um and what, what's really funny is that like malawians are very small but they're very technical and agile and they're really like like they can play technical soccer but when you go and watch the super league it's very direct and it's very like just get the ball forward and i, I personally i don't think it's the best use of players right and uh, maybe that's down to coaching that's down to the players not knowing any better i don't i don't really know um but the malawian soccer scene um it's growing i i would say like it's it's still in development um i would i wouldn't really wouldn't really recommend it it's hard it's hard to watch not like because it's bad it's hard to watch because it's not recorded right it's um it's uh, very few of the games are shown on tv and when they are it's an occasion you know we'll watch it with the players and all that but um generally it's kind of an afterthought even with our players our players prefer to follow you know the premier league and um you know the other big european leagues um so there's not even so that like the south african uh league is shown on television much more than super league in here in malawi so um our players don't really follow it that much um the national team everyone here is very patriotic everyone loves the national team um we're only like 15 minutes away from the uh, national team uh, home ground uh bingo stadium so like i could you know on a good day i can see it from our pitch so um you know we're, we've gone to a number of uh you know, Malawi national team games. I went to a lot of, or all of the Malawi under 17 national team games uh, when we held the COSAFA under 17 championships, um, where we saw Zambia, South Africa, Namibia, Botswana. We saw these um, teams play in the in the tournament against Malawi and against other teams. So um, I guess to sum it all up, it's growing, um, but it's also not that big of a deal, especially for our players and especially for, for me. I just can't really get into it. So let's get a little bit more of like the process for bringing players into the academy. So what what's the the scouting process that Ascent has to identify players maybe to bring into the academy? So we mostly scout um, in the three big cities in Malawi, Mazuzu in the north, Lilongwe, central region, and then down south in Blantyre, which is where the FA is actually located. Um, and we, we call local coaches and we host a U10 and U12 tournament we also host a separate uh, girls tournament but sometimes girls pop into the boys tournaments as well which is always uh, is always interesting um, because you know you know culturally that's kind of not what you're supposed to do um, right here girls get a lot of backlash for playing football which we can go into depth a different day do a whole episode on that but um, so sometimes a girl pops into the boys tournaments or you know we find a we find a girl in the girls tournaments and it's all seven aside so we have two games going on at the exact same time on one 11 aside football pitch and then we kind of just watch the games and we're looking for um the technically best players um and the ones who are you know the best technically or they stand out those are the easy ones to find um, but then we're also looking for decision making. Um, we're looking for what they do off the ball, what they do, um, you know, on the ball after they beat somebody. Do they want to, you know, go backwards and beat them again because they know we're watching and they want to be a little showboaty? Um, how effective are they? Um, you know, we also, you know, keep track of goals and who's getting, you know, who's who's scoring all the goals in the tournament. It's usually um, it's usually a pretty pretty good player. So. Um, after that, we, we do that for about maybe two days, three days. Um, and then we um, pick the players who we think were really good. And then we invite them to um, the selection day, which is, you know, a mock training session where we do a bit of ball mastery. Can they do a couple of tricks with the ball? Can they follow instructions? Uh, we do an unopposed pat uh, passing pattern, all in English. And for record, none of these kids speak any English. Um, I, I guess I, did, I thought that went without saying, but I just want to be clear. So um, if they can understand you and they can actually follow instructions, that's a really good sign for us because it means that they probably took school a bit more seriously. It probably says that um, they come from a better background that favors school or their parents speak English, that kind of thing, um, which is all really good green flags for us. Um, so if they listen in the, in the mock training, that's 
good. Uh, after the line of polls, where if we go into like some, you know, possession game type of rondo, again, we're looking for people who can follow the instructions, who can play within the game rules that we set up, like neutrals. Neutral is a crazy concept uh, for, for some players to grasp. Um, so, you know, you know, these little things that might not stick out in a, you know, North American or European training session massively stick out in, a, you know, in, in, in some uh, Malawian sessions just because the level of English isn't there, right? So um, after that, we put them into a small side of game to finish the session, um, let them play naturally in the positions that they think they're strongest in. Um, and after that, um, we do a um, academic test. And the academic test is like, um, there's two parts. One of the, one of it is in English and it's like your English level and English ability. And the other part is math and like, um, problem solving skills. And, you know, whoever does well on those usually tells us that they're like more academically inclined and, you know, in the decision-making process, when it comes down to who do we invite for national trial? Um, so there's like, there's, you know, the main city scouting, then there's a selection day from that city. And then if they do really well there, they get invited to national trial, which is held at the uh, campus here in the long way. Um, so if someone's not that good at football, but they're really academic academically inclined, we might invite them for national trial um, because obviously they were good enough to get selected for national uh, for selection day, right? They're obviously, they obviously showed some ability to play. So couple that with um, their academic ability it's usually a pretty pretty good sign um, that we can take this player and uh, work with them uh, in our home school. Uh, and then after you know after we do this you know city uh, wide scouting, uh, we invite everyone we found from the north, the central region, and the southern region uh, to our uh, campus in Lilongwe for national trial, which is two weeks long. And they live at the house. They eat you know four or five times a day, which is a big problem for them. Like a lot of them are not used to that amount of food. Um, a lot of them just have no, uh, they've never eaten that much food before, right? Simply put. So like the next day after the first day or two days, they're like, oh, I'm really full. It's like, uh, I know, you know, you, your stomach hurts, but it's because you have, like this is the first time you're getting a lot of food. And then you're training at like, you know, 6.30 in the morning. Um, and then, you know, they play some internal games on the, on the weekend, but while they're there at the house, they're also participating in our homeschool, which is where we can kind of like, okay, everyone who's been invited to the national trial is obviously there because playing merit and maybe the testing on the selection day has helped. Um, but everyone's here on playing merit. So the homeschool gives us a really good chance to see, okay, who can we maybe, you know, who, who's an academic scholarship kid, who's someone we might want to send to the US, um, you know, how, how much can these players take in? How much do they like to learn? How much do they focus in school? Um, you know, some kids are really outgoing and energetic. And even though they don't really know any English, they try really hard to communicate with you, even though they can't speak the language. So they're using gestures, their hand, everything. That kind of stuff takes, you know, might take a player who's a little bit above average of football, average academics in Malawi. That might push a player up in, you know, in, in our in our standing. So we might say, you know, let's take a chance on him and maybe we should sign him. Um, so the the scouting process is as simple as seven aside tournament for U10, U12 academic testing and then we do a um a national trial that brings everyone from all the regions together and they're here for two weeks and we take a look at um uh their character their academic ability in our home school and then the football every single morning in the training sessions are they following instructions Can, are they disruptive do they are they you know pissing off their teammates that kind of what would the, if you have X amount of players come in at like a seven aside tournament, what percent do you think you actually then bring in and you sign to then be at ascent and live at the house with you guys? Oh, that's, that's hard. That's really hard. I never really thought about it. Um, to be honest, like, um, if we look at you know, last year is when we had like a really big, um, uh, scouting trip in Mizuzu. Oh, God, it must have been like 500 kids there, maybe more, just for the boys, right? Maybe, maybe I'm embellishing, but I, I 500 sounds about right. Um, so we, maybe I think we brought down nine boys to come for the national trial. Wow, that's crazy. And we, and I think we signed, 
I think they signed two. Oh, I think yeah. I can't. I can't remember everybody's crazy. Yeah, there's like, like fifty kids here, but we signed two boys. We definitely signed one girl. Um, I can't remember who else we signed. That's on me, though. I probably should have, uh, you know, paid attention. No, no, no I problem. I should have prepared. But, uh, it's definitely it's, a very small. Hand, yeah, the main yeah, point is small it's, percentage. It's very small. Yeah. yeah, and like we don't get everybody, right? Like I don't want to. I don't want to sound like we know. Like uh, we see every single talent. Sometimes we miss it, right? You know, what I see as a good player, someone else might not see as a good player. What I see as a bad player, vice versa, right? So there's biases and there's obviously, it's not a perfect system, right? You're there for like a week or four or five days, right? So it's not a great look at the players you're getting, right? Um, but it's enough to find really talented players who are going to the US on academic scholarships who are getting trials in Europe. So yeah, it's not a perfect system, but it's absolutely working. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And you, you alluded to that, uh, you know, going to, to US and the academic system and so on. So, uh, you know, could just quickly, could you just explain, I think, the, the two pathways, uh, I suppose, that, that a player could have once they are signed uh, by the academy uh, and, and, and what that looks like for them? Sure. So um, when players come in, we, like, we don't, we, we, it's hard to say how, how good a 12 year old is going to be at 17, 18, right? We can't, we can't make that decision. No one can. Anyone who says they can is lying to you. Um, but a great indicator, um, a great, a, big, a, big, a good green, you know, green flag for us is if they come in, they have really good, strong, they have a strong academic background, speak English very well, um, attentive, and they love, you know, they, they enjoy school, they enjoy learning those players would get put on an academic pathway, which is something we, we, we save for players who, you know, fit into this, you know, this, this criteria. And we send two or three to the U S every year um, at about between like 14, 15 years old. Um, and they go to American high schools um, and get, you know, college educations after playing in the, I guess, U.S. soccer, U.S. high school soccer scene. Um, and then the players who are like at a different level, um, you know, who, who we think can absolutely make money playing soccer. Um, we are sending them to, you know, on trials in South Africa. We're sending them on trials. Um, well, I mean, every, every Super League team here wants our players, you know, um, but we think our players are too good for the league. So we're obviously exploring uh, the best options we can. Uh, South Africa being one, Austria being another. Um, we're looking at other uh, great options. And I can't really say too much about it. One, because I don't know too much about it. That's not a decision for, that's not something an academy coach knows too much about. But I know that um, our best players, you know, we know where their potential is at. Um, we, we can see, you know, the clear disparity between our academic pathway players and like the ones who we think could maybe play professionally in Europe. Um, and, uh that's that's it that's it really um they go on trial and then when they're 18 the, we have a pathway for them that that's awesome um what for you is like some of the biggest differences or, or similarities even between coaching in canada uh maybe even taking some licenses classes in scotland i think you said and then also in the lobby so i mean i think people who know me will know i'm very critical of canadian soccer um but you know to to be and to be honest here, like the Malawians are so much more technical, right? And they're like anything you ask them to do technically, they can they can do most of the time, right? Um, and they're so agile and quick and like really hard to you know to, to defend. Um, so Canadians, I'm sure, can, can be agile and hard to defend, um, but like Canadians don't grow up playing on um, dirt pitches where the ball takes like so many um, uh, random bounces and jumps. So like the Malawian first touch is usually um, pretty, pretty well developed. Um, there is a caveat there, of course, like most of the Malawians will, will like stop the ball completely, like studs on the ball or like the, the first touch that just kills all the momentum in the ball. Because when you're playing on a dirt pitch, you just want to kill the momentum right away so you can carry on dribbling. Whereas like on a grass pitch, you might use your first touch to take you in the space or push you for, push the ball forward. 
um, was on a dirt pitch, you absolutely couldn't do that because it might be a random bump that sends the ball a different direction. So like that, that, uh, that development is pretty, pretty stark. Um, then Canadians are massive. Uh, they're so big. So uh, like, I, I, they're just big. <laughs> um, they're, they're uh, you know, Malawians are very small, not because of genetics, but because they just don't eat enough food um, when they're young. So like the growth is stunted. Um, so, you know, a Malawian 10 year old might look like a North American eight year old. Um, so the size is a massive difference. Um, Canadians, I found were really, uh, you know, challenging uh, of, of like status quo and like what the coaches said, which is great in a learning environment. Um, I don't want to just be a dictator and say, this is how it goes. Cause that's not how it play. That's not how people develop. Um, in Canada, I could ask questions and I'll get a whole bunch of different answers. And that was awesome, right? You know, you can have conversation with players and that like knowledge transfer is real. Um, whereas here, you know, everything we do um, is, is through guided discovery and asking questions. Uh, Mark Schwenk wrote a great uh, article on Medium that talks about um, what we do here and how we combine academics and football, which we can talk about uh, in depth maybe a bit later. But uh, in, in short, like kids here, when they go to school, they're not really asked questions. They're not, at, like, you know, they're not get the, the involvement. It's quite low. It's very much like a, if someone speaks, you listen type of environment. So when they come here, everything is questions like, you know, um, you know, why did you choose this decision instead of this one? Right. Like, and we, we, um, we do that because one, it's, it's a much more engaging environment to learn in. Uh, but two, uh, we want kids, especially football players, to challenge decisions. We want them to give an opinion. We want them to say why they did something rather than just stare blankly at you or kind of like say sorry because they think it was wrong, right? So the Canadians are very easy to say, yeah, no, I did this because of X, Y, Z. Whereas Malayans was like, the, these some of our players are just say, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I did that. Um, you know, fear of you know saying the wrong answer. Um, I guess that's, that's my guess. So those are the biggest difference that's out of my head. Um, I think working here is much more fun and much more rewarding and engaging than working in Canada. Cause, um, I live with all of our male players. So that level of, I guess, bonding and interaction just wasn't, po it's not possible in Canada for me. Right. I was never going to live with three different age groups, almost like 40 people. It was just not going to happen, right? Um, so here, the bond is a lot deeper. And it sounds kind of corny, but like you, you see you, you see these kids from six in the morning to like eight o'clock at night, right? You're, 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 you eat with them. You have to sometimes give them consequences because they steal your chicken. You have to like, um, you, you just have to, you're almost playing like a father figure and um, it, it, that's a really rewarding part of this job. Um, and I think it actually leads to players buying into the system, um, a lot more than it being very cold and dictator like. So in Canada, I just wouldn't have that opportunity, um, here. It's, it's, it's great. Like, um, we talked about it before recording. I, I think that a great way of developing players um, is, is to start off with a very deep personal relationship, get to know them, find out what makes them tick because every player and every person learns differently. Um, and coming here kind of like said, yeah, it kind of confirmed for me that like, that's a very good way to, to work with young people and, uh, and, and footballers, especially. Yep. No, that, that's very interesting. Uh, yeah. I think you alluded to one of the things there, which was uh, like, the, the sort of nutrition of many of these kids as they're growing up. So I, I, I think let's just quickly also touch on some of maybe the, the issues you face um, in, in, in Malawian football. Uh, of course, one of the big ones, I suppose, uh, which is certainly something I've experienced when I was in India, uh, which is the phenomenon of age cheating. So um, maybe just, you know, talk, talk uh, about that if you can, you know, as, as far as you can. Sure. So, um, you know, the biggest issue, again, is probably the size, right? Like the, the, the country is so poor the, and the kids don't eat enough, right? So they're going to be stunted. That's the first barrier that we have to kind of work, work around. Um, uh, another issue is, you know, the, the level of youth teams here is, is low. 
right? In Canada, there was so many youth teams, and I'm sure soccer parents will definitely, you know, uh, agree. Sometimes there's too many youth teams to choose from, and you don't know what's best for your kid because everyone's trying to sell you something different. Whereas here, um, it doesn't really. Nah, there's there's just not a lot of good youth teams because not a lot of there's no money um, for the coaches. A lot of them are just like the local. Uh, rich guy who could pay for some boots and some uh, some kit and he coached them right so the owner sometimes the coach or like the owner will like find a coach and work with them so the level's low um they're small and then the age cheating it's not even like I, I wouldn't even say it's deliberate it's more of a a lot of people just don't uh know you know, uh, you know the 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 ages because the infrastructure doesn't exist in in Malawi and in a lot of parts of the developing world where there, there's no way to track uh, or there's very limited ways to track uh, you know, you know, who was born when. So, you know, we work around that and we, we it's difficult and at times frustrating when you see like, you know, a 15 year old who's quite obviously 15, you know, to you hurt your play someone who's like you on your U12 team, right? Like that's something that we... I, I loathe that's happened before, but it's like, that's part of that, that, that's, that's what, that's the problem we have to work with here. And um, it's not, I don't think it's deliberate. I think it's very much, a, this is kind of like the cards a lot of people were dealt and that's, that's it really. Uh, that's all I can really say on the age cheating. Um, another issue I think is like transport. So like a lot of club, a lot of like coaches just drive in here um, to, to our pitch, but not everyone has a car. And not everyone could pay for petrol. Um, petrol is like a dollar seventy liter, dollar um, seventy US. And when most of the people live on like a dollar a day, I'm not entirely sure what the salary uh, is, but it's, it's probably something like that. Um, people just can't afford to get to the pitch, so we have to either help them, we have to accommodate them, we have to, you know, sometimes they turn up late. Um, a big thing is like time isn't real here. Um, you know, sometimes we'll say, we'll say kickoff is at eight o'clock and they'll turn up at 10 or 11. And that's just something we have to work with. Right. And, you know, sometimes they say out of that church transport was a pain. Um, all these other things that we work within. So small, they're, they're too small. The youth teams are not that good. So, you know, we don't really have great opponents to play against all the time. So internal games are really exciting. Um, the ages are always, you know, kind of, hard to work with um because some coaches just don't know any better and then um, transport i would say is probably some of the biggest hurdles we're working around yeah that's all fascinating how um how do you think that the the time you spent now in malawi at ascent how has that helped develop you as a coach we've talked a lot about what like what you're doing but how then what are you taking out from that that then obviously going forward in your career that you're then going to bring to all your other gigs so before I came here, I was like, even now, sometimes I catch myself looking for like new exercises and new, you know, types of drills and all that stuff. And I post all my sessions, plan, session plans on Twitter and uh, people are always like, oh, I got to try this game. I got to try this game. I got to try this. And it's like, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, I catch myself sometimes now going like, oh, I need more. I need more games. I need different ideas, which sure. I think everyone needs a refresh and can benefit from getting new ideas and new perspectives. But coming to Ascent has taught me that like layering the learning process is I think much more important than any sort of possession game, right? Um, I was lucky, I'm lucky to work with some really good coaches. Mark, I mentioned earlier, uh, Rory Murphy, he came out last year and like, you know, Rory didn't do any fancy drills. Mark doesn't do any fancy drills. Everything's very like, um, effective, clear, and it's concise. Um, so I would say layering how players learn. And I guess that starts in like the classroom, right? So we try and bring together the academic and the football side. Um, so I, I guess off the top of my head, the easiest example I can think of is if our U12 group is learning about fractions, I might say get into thirds, right? I might just, if I want three teams for a game, I might just say get into thirds or get into quarters, right? So like, that's a perfect example of layering what we've took in the classroom, putting it into the football environment. Um, and then, you know, a lot of, uh, we do a lot of unopposed work. Now I was like, 
so against it in Canada. I hated it. I just loathed standing there watching people pass balls around, like, you know, on a pole. Like, it's just every decision was already made before they got the ball. And it's like, it's not, I, I thought it wasn't really coaching. Like, I just thought it was a good for activation. I had all these bad things to say about it, right? But here, I find I have to do unopposed work before going into any sort of game with a condition related to a theme we're working on because you can't just jump into uh, a new idea. Like in Canada, a cycle might last, like we might do a four-week cycle and it might be pressing one week, bailing off in the back second week. Uh, then we might go middle, third rotations and then maybe like finishing, right? Over the course of our year, we'll cover um, all of these topics, um, you know, enough so the players just understand it. Here, we don't do one new topic every week. We'll do like one, like for our 12s, they do one topic for three weeks straight and then they do pressing for a week. New topic for three weeks, pressing for a week um, or one-on-one defending. And it's because like you need that three-week period to like really hammer in the ideas you're working on because the level of education here uh, for some of our players is just... It's just not good enough, right? So they need that extra time to learn um, and they need that time to like gel and get the ideas. So, you know, before coming here, I was like, ah, on a post work is so stupid. I just want to get like small side of game and, you know, play football. Uh, now it's like, no, no, like what's much more interesting is how do these kids learn? How do we take advantage of uh, our environment? Right, you know, I might complain a lot, but like there's a lot we can control. And if we can control um, how our players learn and layer all layer the learning and work together with the academic department, um, then our players will be successful. Our players are successful. So coming here uh, to answer in short, yeah, like unopposed work and then layering that uh, learning process over the course of two or three weeks is like invaluable because like the Malay, like our Malayan players will learn and do the same amount of sessions as like a Canadian um, player might, but it's just structured differently. Yeah, that, that's, that's very interesting. Um, I, I, I think, you know, we've sort of uh, briefly touched on this uh, throughout this conversation, but I think uh, looking ahead, uh, what, what would you say that the ascent basically, I suppose the buzzword is vision. So like, what would you say ascent aspires to be both as an academy and of course uh, for, for the players? So, you know, uh, George McGuire is like, he's one of our co-founders. Um, and, you know, something I said to me when I first got here was that, you know, there's uh, tons of talent, but there's not a lot of equity. And I'm paraphrasing, sorry, George, if you're listening. Um, but uh, like there's talent all over all over the world, right? And it's not fair that, um, you know, Malawian players don't, are not going to get the same shot as a Nigerian player or a Ghanaian player um, like, or, or an English player or an American player. Um, so we want to be the, I guess, um, biggest talent identificator and then and then uh, identifier rather and then be able to nurture that talent and put it on the stage it, they deserve to be on because uh, there is talent here right um and it, they deserve to play in america they deserve to play in europe so we want to put kids um in the spotlight we want to be the biggest um the biggest and best at it for the region i would say i think that's a it's an ambitious goal but like we can definitely do it we've got a proven uh and, and successful setup here um i don't i don't see why in the next few years um we we can't grow even more than we have already i've only been here for a year and a bit um but since a sense kind of come into existence in 2014 to now you know they've we've improved so far we've gotten so far from where we were like where we were where we started to now it is massively different what started off as like 12 players that george uh found and and then nurtured has turned into like an academy of over 70 80 players on the boys and girls side um so uh, i guess in short just we want to we want to put these players um in the spotlight in the spotlight they deserve to be in yeah, that's such a a great goal because I mean it's it's 
so true that there's talent everywhere. It doesn't matter. Where, talent itself doesn't like discriminate at all. It just like the the what people are given at first might then almost hide that and make people think that there's not talent in some corner of the world. But obviously that's not the case. And so hearing Ascent wanting to do that is um, honestly it's 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 amazing to hear and to see the growth over seven eight years however long it's been is uh, fantastic. But so then on you what. What then are your plans for your coaching career? It's obviously you've you've been around coaching since you were 17 and, and you know for, for eight years now, but you're still young. So how where do you see yourself going? Where do you want uh, to go in the future? So uh, right now I'm really focused on just preparing for my UA for B in December. Um, the first block is gonna start between like June and August. Um, and then uh, once I get the, once, if I get the B, I don't want to speak too prematurely here. I could fail. Um, but, uh, I, I want to, I want to see, um, our players get on, get into the, like I said, the spotlight they deserve to be in. I think it'd be great if before I leave Ascent, we have, uh, we have a few players in Europe. That'd be, that, that, that would be success in my eyes. Um, but you know, while I do it, I enjoy working with young people. I love working with young people. Um, I think I, I absolutely want to try coaching uh, first team results driven soccer. I think it'd be an excellent challenge. And um, even if it's just for a short period, I think uh, it would be, it, it would be, uh, like I said, an exciting challenge. And, you know, I'm working with youth international level players um, at, um, I'm a lot of our players that play for the under 17 and 23 national team on the boys and girls side. So, you know, I've worked with such a great level of player. Um, I'd love to see what I could do in a more results driven environment with this experience now. So get the B, um, that's the focus for the next 12 months or so. And then um, I'd like to see some of our players play in Europe. Um, uh, I, like I said, I want to collect more licenses. I think I have a lot to learn from a, different, a bunch of different federations. Um, you know, the, I would love to get on the CAF courses, but they're, they're very difficult to get on as I'm, as I'm learning. Um, yeah, so especially if you're not, you know, from anywhere in Africa, uh, Canadian getting onto a CAF course is about as funny as a Canadian getting onto a UEFA licensing course. So um, it, it's, it's, it's a nice goal to have, uh, getting onto like any of these cap cap courses, but um, we'll see. But yeah, um, see our players get into Europe. I'd like to coach in results-driven football um, soon, maybe the next 10, five, 10 years, like 25. I'm in no rush to get into uh, senior football, but um, definitely see me trying it, even if it's not uh, the long-term thing and I go back to youth coaching, I think it would be a great experience and a great way to challenge myself further. I think finally then, uh, maybe I'm putting you uh, on the spot a bit, but you, of course you, you mentioned that you do want to get into senior coaching. So I, I suppose, and you know, I, I see you uh, on Twitter, of course, you're, you're very open about coaching and, uh, you know, talking about these things. So maybe just quickly to ask if, if and when you do get into senior coaching, what, what should we expect a, a Cameron Herbert team to look like? Yeah, <laughs> so I don't want to set any expectations here. Um, like I, you know, I'm 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 optimistic, but I'm also realistic. I'm not gonna try and play some crazy positionless play style of soccer in like the Canadian second division, right? Um, I would say some of the things I love coaching the most are pressing. I think pressing is so fun and exciting, and I, I, I think. Um, you know, any team I coach is going to be uh, good at, at, at pressing and adaptable. Um, uh, I, I like watching it. I like coaching it. Um, I think fluid fluidity is always nice to achieve, but it's also not, uh, it's not realistic for most teams. Um, but if we could achieve fluidity, that'd be nice. Um, you know, I, I think the, a Cameron Herbert team will be uh, 
adaptable and playing within expectations uh it's definitely it's definitely like you've been put on the spot but like i said i think a great pressing team uh is, is, is hard to beat and it's also fun to watch so if you're in a results driven environment you're going to lose games or if you're going to try and you know win games at least try and do it in a more exciting manner and don't just park the bus try and go for it see if you can um you know use your um uh, see how far you can push your players. I would, I love short passing and I love the possession game. You know, I love Bielsa. I've followed Bielsa for like 10 years now. You know, like every person on Twitter, I love Pep Guardiola and what he's done for football, but like, I'm also very realistic. I would love to play a short possession kind of football, but I'm also um, not afraid of going direct. It's actually a problem, like to segue into, you know, uh, Malawi here is like, we love the short passing game. Our players are so bloody good at the short passing game because if you put them on a dirt pitch, like any, if you play a, a pass that's more than five meters long, it's going to bounce all over the place. So, you mean, like, so like everyone's really good at short passing, right? And it's not, not a problem. But the, uh, the ability to see and find the direct option is very difficult for them because they just don't find the direct option. So we're having a, like I'm having uh, a fun time working with my under 15 group and like, helping them find that direct option because it's always nice to play the pretty you know you know thousand pass game when like the how do i say this it's nice to play that style and it's nice to watch but in my opinion i don't think it's conducive to development and i don't think it's conducive to results um like we can absolutely um play short possession football but also um in a results driven environment you, you need to score goals Right. And that's what I'm trying to, you know, work with my players. Like it's nice to play pretty football, but we can play pretty football and score goals at the same time. We can have that balance. Um, so I've got a bit of a rant here, but good pressing, realistic. Um, I'm not gonna force players to play some crazy style of football. You might see people talk about on Twitter. Um, like it's easy. I'm gonna, you know, temper expectations here. Like it'd be nice to play crazy positional positionless football, but um unless I have like a really good level of player, it's going to be very hard to do that. But yeah, pressing is probably what I'll be, what I'll be known for. That's what will win me uh, my, my uh, Champions League is, is my pressing schemes, my pressing ideas. Uh, final question then. What do you prefer it to be called? Herbert ball or Herbie ball? Or maybe Herbert press or Herbie press? It's got, it's got to be Herbie ball, doesn't it, right? Herbie yeah, ball just, yeah. doesn't, it, just, it just rolls it's off the tongue a lot nicer. That, that je ne sais quoi. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it certainly sounds a lot a lot a lot more interesting. Yeah, Herbie Paul, that's got a ring to it. Well, then we have the, we have the headline then for when you win the Champions League. How Herbie Paul won the Champions League? Just a couple of years away now. Yeah, yeah, very very soon. Uh, before Pep Guardiola gets another one, I guess. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, so thank you very much, Cameron. Uh, really really enjoyed this chat. I think I think final point um, uh, for our listeners is uh, if you could just quickly uh, tell them where to look for you if they if they want to you know read more from you find find you where should they look for you? Yeah, so um, I I would first say follow me on Twitter. Um, maybe you guys can include uh, my my Twitter yeah in the bio here. Um, I've also got a newsletter that goes out every Tuesday called the Weekly Rondo. Just talks about uh, general things I deal with in coaching, and then I include things I read that week that are relevant to the topic. Uh, I also do a bit of rambling on what's been bothering me in my most recent session sessions. Um, check out my Medium page if you want to see some more, uh, I guess, long reads. Um, but uh, other than that, th those those three is probably where you can find me. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks Ben as well for for, for joining us, uh, and, and thanks to you listeners for joining us too. Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully be back soon uh, with, with another one. So uh, see you then. But until then, take care. Goodbye.